Hey, everybody. Welcome. Tuck's Weekend starts now. Boom. Welcome. Um, you're the first guest as I start um, revamping this thing. Um, when I first started doing this, it was all about insurance sale, selling and sales okay. and stuff like that. Um, I don't know that anybody cares about that other than insurance salesmen. Right. And uh, so I was like, hey, I want to talk to a more diverse range of people. And sure. what I want to talk about before we get uh, too deep into things, you want to start us with a prayer? Yes, let's do that. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Good and gracious God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together to be guided by the Holy Spirit wherever uh, we are guided today to to see how you work in mysterious ways and in a plan that you definitely have for us. We ask you, Lord, to help us to hear you more, to see your son and the people that we come and encounter with and how you revealed yourself to me, your lowly servant, and to how you wish to reveal yourselves to others through my story and through um, the, the, the beautiful life of a priest. Uh, we thank you, Lord, in advance for whatever uh, gets thrown out this day. We ask all this through Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, yeah. Does that ever get any easier? No. Absolutely not. I'm glad you, you picked that out, you know, like praying, like spontaneous. Like, uh, I mean, yes and no. It's just sometimes you just got to go, you know. I I consider myself a, a religious person, and then other people might notice that, and they're like, hey, can you say a prayer for us? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, no, that's that's a scary thing to do. But I think um, having a good prayer life on your own makes it easier to just say what you are going to say yes. out loud, um, yeah. where – Before, if maybe my prayer life wasn't as good as it should have been, Uh then somebody says, hey, can you say that out loud? You're like, oh, man, now I'm really nervous. Right, right. Yeah, it's like, but my prayer's between me and Jesus. But it's like, yeah, no, I have me, Jesus, and everybody else. And I, you know, I... As Catholics, we have the, the rote prayers that we can just go to straight off, you know. Oh, yeah, sure, our Father. Or, you know, people will do this for me uh, when I go over to their homes. They invite me over to have dinner with them, and they're like, oh, Father, can you lead prayer? And I'm just like, uh, you know I'm going to just lead the <laughs> blessed the Lord prayer, so you guys could do that too. In fact, what I like to do is with, if they're there, their family leads it, and I see how their family prays together. Sure. That's beautiful. Because, hey, of course, I'm supposed to be praying. But when I see the way that you pray, that gives me a witness. And I go, whew, God is working in your life. And so then it gives me more courage even to pray differently the next time I go to somebody's house. And they invite me to prayer. And then I can pray spontaneous. And uh, I I love to pray spontaneous. But I don't think – that's why I said, no, it doesn't get any easier because it's it's like – how did I start that prayer off? Because my teachers, 
in seminary were like, you should start off with your prayer. If you're going to start off with the God, you better know that it's going to come back to God later on. And if it's, you know, you include the Son and the Holy Spirit, you better be directing these things the right way. And you're just like, so it's kind of this weird symphony of things, and you're kind of conducting it, and you're like, okay, I hope that made sense. And, uh, yeah, I, I I like the more spontaneous because it is. I, I'm asking the Lord. I, it's as if he's right beside me, so might as well come on in, you know, help me be inspired to be clear, to speak clearly. And he kind of sometimes actually, well, more than sometimes, he, he full, pulls through. So, What is it about other Christian denominations and why are they better at that than we are? Um, I enjoy being with Christians mm-hmm. and hearing their spontaneous prayer um, because it drives me to, to do that better because I don't think I am very good at it. And then I, I hear them and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to practice. I'm going to, what can, how can I do that better? Um, but why do you think it is that, I mean, they're not blessed with those rote prayers like we have. I mean, most of right. them know the, our father, um, but, uh, we get to rely on the hail Mary and the glory be. <laughs> right. Right. That, so. And I, I think it is, it, it is something that that they see and witness daily, you know, in their in their homes, especially if they are in a, in a good, solid Christian home, that uh, they see their parents pray that way. Uh, and you know, we and like you said, like and like I said, you know, these blanket prayers of the Our Father and the Hail Marys are the things that we were, in a way, forced to pray in school. You were here's a prayer, memorize it. And now it's kind of interesting for us. We we then go and defend, yeah, the Hail Mary is a biblical prayer. And can we, can we you know, we, we kind of staple that down into this biblical foundation. Whereas I would say some of our, our Christian brothers and sisters, they have a, a biblical uh, underpinning to their prayer because they've, they've read some sort of... Um, context that that is already plugged in by by somebody who's praying a certain way in the bible and they're like yeah let's pray like elijah you know and then they just kind of just go with the spiritual thing and i would say that they they welcome the holy spirit in that way whereas we think that we just need this formula and we as catholics as well have the formula given to us in the mass and the mass is like here you go please pray it right you know and if you don't pray it right, well, then you know that it's like this. This is kind of it didn't turn out right, or <laughs> some little off. Something's a little off. But uh, I, I think I think that's the difference between between Catholics and you know our Christians, you know Christian brothers and sisters. Um, they come out and they're like, let's have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And for some reason, it's hard for a Catholic to say. You can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're supposed to. And so sometimes when when a Catholic hears that come out of a, a Catholic priest's mouth, they're like, hmm, suspicion. You know? And it's just like, no, 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 no. Everybody's called to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's how we do that as a community and that Jesus Christ also gave us the Eucharist in order to feed that personal relationship with him. And to go out on mission to 
affect change and transformation in other people that I should be changed by even in taking in the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ into myself. I become the new tabernacle. And so there is something where you can kind of go, wow, I should be floored by biblical language and go, my king and my God, or like my Lord and my God, like Thomas did when he puts his hands into his side. Um, and, and that can be your prayer, but it's us taking it in personally and receiving it and going, ah, now I'm convinced and I'm convicted. I want other people to, to pray like I prayed, but I don't want them to pray like I prayed because I, I just forced them into it. I want them to pray because I've been changed. So I don't know if I'm going to stumble over this, but do you think that Catholics are, are scared to be, uh, I'm using air quotes here, a friend of Jesus out of respect Hmm. because they have that fear of the Lord or they have that, um, almost maybe treating God and and Jesus as a celebrity that I won't ever be able to get that close to him. And our Christian brothers and sisters treat him more as their, their buddy that they get to chat with all the time. I I think so. I, in, in some ways I want more respect towards Jesus and I want more respect towards Jesus and the Eucharist. That's what I, I wish. Um, I believe, though, that even the, that some of the, the Christian understanding of knowing Jesus as, his, as their personal Lord and Savior, that they, that they rest on this knowing and that it's more of it, – it's, it's, it's a lot of work. And it's not necessarily a friendship in some ways. Like, and and it, it's hard for me to – to talk about it because considering that I wasn't like prepped for this, but I, I've, I've read somewhere, it's just like uh, some Protestants, um, you know, if, if you follow like uh, Dr. David Anders, Scott Hahn, these are converts from Presbyterianism into Catholicism. There's other, uh, uh, plenty of other converts who are very, very intellectual and they rest on this, this interesting aspect of, yeah, I, I know Jesus Christ, but they almost have this idol of what Christ even looks like. And so I, I kind of uh, I, I, I get a little fascinated about that sometimes where I'm just like, wow, do they really know what Jesus taught? Or is it this blanket, we're so different from Catholics and we just have this like little thing? And um, so and, and it's like... Uh, you know, and sometimes we even get a caricature of what Protestants are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes I, I, I feel like, you know, there are some things where I, I say something and I'm like, wow, that can that can edge on to a very different um, theology, you know. And, and then it's like, how do I bring it back to what the Catholic Church teaches? And I always just will say, Jesus Christ gave us his word and then he gave us his sacraments and that it's not just a God is up there and he kind of, you know, like telecommunicates to us, but that he can actually communicate to us 
in the the things that we can partake in, which is the mass, uh, baptism, that baptism changes us, uh, reconciliation. Those are those are still living and effective. So it's not this one and done type of thing. Nor is it like a friend in the pocket that is always there. It's a, a living and an indwelling of Jesus Christ um, and the triune God. It's it's not just Jesus. It's all of it. So, yeah, it's it was that's a good question, and you didn't really stumble over it very well. I think I stumbled <laughs> over my answer. So <laughs> that uh, works. Let's take a step back. Sure. Um, how long have you been a priest? I have been a priest. It will be three years in June. Okay. Yeah. Very new then. Yeah. Um, as far as what I've been around, and um, I think people are wondering. I mean, if they went through the timeline of of the uh, the podcast that I've had, of like I had a priest, and then I had a seminary, and I have another priest, and he's like, "What what are you doing with all these guys?" But um, I I told this story one other time on here uh, that when I was in high school, um, Father Fred was my teacher, and I was serving mass one day. I think it was for Mother's Day mass, which has just happened last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he said, hang on just a second. Come with me. I, I, I need to introduce you to your future boss. And he walked me up to the bishop and introduced me and, and said, uh, you know, this guy's going to be a priest someday. And, and you know, this will be your boss, the bishop. And I'm like, whoa, way to surprise me on that one. Right. And yeah. so um, one, of the, one of the reasons why I, I like having these conversations is, you know, I didn't I grew up around um, Franciscan priests the majority of my life because right. that's what I had here at my parish. Um, but I didn't know young priests. I didn't know new priests. Um, you know, you're you're pretty new. I right. mean, if if a couple walk, well, my sister hasn't has been married about as long as you've been a priest. I can still I still consider them very newly married. Yeah. You know, and so um, I I want to. I want to hear your backstory. I want to see, sure. you know, where you came from. Where did you grow up? How many siblings did you have? Sure. All that stuff. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's a it's a great great segue into my life, I guess. Uh so I I was born in Garden City, Kansas. Um you know, the place where they say, you know, it smells like money. And uh so I definitely grew up around the the feedlots, but I was a city boy. Um Went to Catholic school there at St. Dominic's, and I I remember my my first encounter with the priest, the the parish priest there. Uh, his name was Monsignor Timot, and there was a an associate there who was Vietnamese, and I can't remember his name. I never can remember his name because I, I called him Candyman because he always gave out candy to you after mass. But Monsignor Timot was just this this big big guy. I, he he and he had this booming voice and this great laugh. And so after mass I just remember always just hearing him laughing and very like just very congenial with the people and uh so that was I I lived there for 7 years of my life and then my my parents uh I so I'm the youngest of 3. Um my my parents my dad got a school teaching job in Wichita, and my mom went back to school at Newman University to get her teaching degree. And so um, my sister 
Katie was going into uh, fifth grade, I think. Yeah, and then I was going into second grade. My brother was going into third grade, and so my brother's named Matthew. And uh, moved to Wichita, uh, got to kind of a big, scary city. Wichita, Kansas was pretty scary coming from from uh, good old uh, Garden City, although I think it could probably be pretty comparable now nowadays. I haven't been back to Garden for a while, but, uh, uh, but I would just remember... Uh, loving Garden City, uh, and I have so many awesome memories from like you know uh, just from the backyard to riding bikes down the street. Uh, strange memories with with friends and and just the fascination of the world uh, and the the endless possibilities. So I, I just had this creative knack that was kind of given to me uh, from from Garden City. I. I, I I just it just holds a, a a really dear spot in my heart, and so then going to Garden City or from Garden City to to Wichita uh, was a big adjustment, but um, it went well. I mean, I we had neighbor kids down the street, so our backyard became kind of a, a that that place to hang out and whatnot. But then, sorry, how old were you when you moved to Wichita? I was seven. Okay, yeah, so. <clears throat> And then, um, was I seven? Yeah. And then in, uh, when, yeah, so I, I received, went to Catholic school there in Wichita, uh, Wichita Catholic schools are, uh, pretty premier in some ways. Uh, they had the, they were starting up the, the, um, stewardship program and whatnot about that same time. And, and then there was like vocation stuff. And I remember like taking all these vocation, um, tests and whatnot, but received, uh, first Holy communion there. My, my, uh, first year there at, uh, St. Margaret Mary there in Wichita, Kansas. And, uh, I don't remember it too much, but I actually still have my like little booklet that we made that we colored and drew in and wrote things about. Like I still have that. And I just remember, uh, I actually used it when I taught, um, some classes back in seminary. Um, for some fourth graders, I used the the little thing that that the, the our, our second grade teacher wrote, and she uh, she had wrote something to each of us, but it was basically the the same thing. It was you are embarking on something that is the most incredible thing to man, and it is so beautiful that you are able to partake in this. It is Jesus's body, blood, soul, and divinity, and of course, at that time, you know you know it, you've been taught it. But looking back on that and just being able to see my teachers like double down on that truth is really, really fan- fantastic. Like it's just like, yes, I was being taught the Catholic faith, and my parents were backing that up. You know, you go to mass on Sundays, you wear dress clothes. It's, it's, it's something that we look forward to and then we have breakfast afterwards you know it is it is a family thing and it is the most important thing that you do that's awesome i'm going to jump in there real quick um one of the the things that just drives me crazy are the the folks that say well i'm gonna i'm gonna let my kid grow up and make their own decisions on when they're baptized and and if they want to do this this church thing and and in the meantime, we're going to set a good example for them. We will take them to mass 
every Sunday and, and like you said, do the family thing, but we're going to let them choose that, that they want to do that. But I also agree with what you said and agree with them on the line that they don't quite, they don't quite understand what they're, they're getting into. Like you said, I'm the same way in second grade. I didn't quite understand what I was doing at communion and, and receiving the Eucharist. Um, what do you say to those people who want to let their kids wait? So I, <laughs> this is a, a something right now. I'm actually kind of been in the middle of this like two and a half hour long debate between uh, this Protestant um, named James White and uh, Trent Horn, and I think it's actually longer than that. <laughs> so, but um, there's this idea of what it means to be chosen, right? And and it's God is the one who's choosing it, but he's chosen you as parents to choose the faith for your children and to raise them up in it. This is the cooperation that we're called to have with God through faith. We are given the gift of faith, and you can actually pass it on. And God says, I am going to enhance that, and I enhance that in our sacraments. And through the sacraments, they do something. And so this is what Catholics need to get back into. And, and you'll hear me in my preaching, like matter matters, that, that God actually it gives us our bodies to be incarnational, to encounter other people. And so when God actually says, and Jesus says in you know, John 6, um, eat my flesh, you must eat my flesh to have life, to have eternal life within you. We take that very seriously. And so, and why would God say, except for the little children, they can't have eternal life unless they choose me later on? No, I can give that to them, especially if they can go, yes, I do know that's Jesus. I might not comprehend what transubstantiation is. And we've, we've already kind of gone through that with uh, this idea, even per, per, before the coronavirus, you know, this is something that's kind of introduced us to this weird realm of what does, what does, uh, I mean, this is a whole different topic, but it, it goes into this, like, what does materiality do? We have the possibility to die. But when, anyways, we have the possibility to die because of it, right? I can get hit by a board and I can die, or I can catch a virus and I can die. But God is the one that's actually infusing something more into a piece of bread and some wine and says, this is me. And kids can get that. Sometimes better than adults. Exactly. And so, and that's the innocent faith. And that's exactly what God calls us to be. When I go, when I baptize an infant, I tell people, I usually read the, the story of, of uh, the apostles getting mad at Jesus for like letting people, like little children run up to him. You know, it's like, oh, send them away. And Jesus is like, let the little children come to me. He gets perturbed by them stopping it. And he's like, look, you need to be like this. We need to come back to that original innocence and go, this is actually really pretty simple. That's the faith he's calling us to. And so when when we leave it up to choice, we actually leave it up to pride. 
right? When we leave it up to, to our own choice and choosing my own preference and whatnot, it comes down to, well, I'm the one that's saving myself. When you actually allow another person to, to usher you in and to bring you through it, especially your parents, the ones who said, we love each other enough to love another. And so we're going to bring this other into the world. That's a great amount of trust and a lot and a great amount of choice that you've already made between each other to have your child and to do, do something with the goodness of God. So now what, what's stopping you from, from activating the faith in that? And so that's what I would say to them. And I mean, it's a pretty long about run, roundabout way of, of saying, trust in the Lord. Bring your child to mass. I don't care if they kick and scream. I don't care if if you have to go out to, uh, to the car to to spank them or to the to the front lobby to do that. What's what's detrimental to them is you not praying and them seeing that. If they don't see that, there's nothing for them to latch on to. They cannot go towards the faith if they don't have a guide towards it. You have to be that. And that's what we say in the baptismal rite. You say, you are the one, you parents are the ones who are have the right and the, the means, and you are supposed to raise your child up in the faith and educate them in it. Do you understand what you're doing? And it's it's a huge question, and I mean people people should be blown away by that, and 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 so, uh, you know, I I kind of wait with bated breath, like, are you going to say it? Mm-hmm. You know, say yes, we do, we are. I'm like, all right, you chose it, you you got it right. Let's do this. Let's baptize this child, and you get to set it on the path of the way, the truth, and the life. You don't leave it up to Satan. You leave it up to God. And I think that's a scary thing because so many parents aren't um, enjoying or or striving to to make their faith better. And so they're going, how can I lead this little one when I don't know what I'm doing? So I just think that makes it even more important to, you know. Right. Yeah, I, I think there, there are a lot of people who, who – uh, like, well, I don't have that relationship with God. And, and, and what I want to say is... You can do it together. Yeah, do it together. And that's the, that's the joy of, of being a couple. Uh, and that's the joy of you know, bringing, bringing in your child to that. And um, you can. You can have a relationship with God. We'll, we'll help you. And, and we'll give you the rote prayers for you to start those off, that, that leap pad for you to gr- then grow into a greater relationship um, that's just uh, – that's m- more of a relationship with your whole family. God wants the whole family. He That is the, the first commandment is be fruitful and multiply. You know, that that's, that's in Genesis. Adam and Eve, they were supposed to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, but for some reason, they got stuck by the tree and they just thought everything was good and hunky-dory, Right? And in a way, let's look at us right now in coronavirus time. How many of us are going, you know, 
before this all happened, I was running around frantic. I, I thought I would, like, have all this chance to, uh, or, like, I just couldn't put things together. And then all I really wanted was just to have some downtime. Then all of a sudden that downtime was given to every single one of us. It's like this weird jubilee year that we hear about in the in the gospels or in the even in the in the Old Testament. Uh, they they happen every forty years or something like that. Mm-hmm. This is this is like God's weird natural jubilee year reset. Yeah, and and like you know, I, I I'm not gonna pretend that I know what God's plan is in this, but we gotta use it. We can't just complain about it and. We gotta, we gotta reset. We've gotta go. Were we too complacent and just running around, letting things drop off that really actually mattered? Now, are we able to come back to those things that really actually matter to us? The prayer, my relationships with my family members that are right in front of me, or the relationship with the family members that are far away from me. Have I beefed those up? So, um, that's that's our chance then to really get down to those that that necessity of I what is essential in my life is God and my family and love of a neighbor. That's what Jesus's gospel is all about. And if we're not we're not doing that well, I mean we need a kick in the pants. So or sure. or we'll we'll fall away from it and we'll God will give us what we wanted, which is that time for us to figure out oh. Here's now is the time. So, um, just as a side note for anybody listening, uh, we're recording this on on May fifteenth of twenty twenty, and here in middle Midwest Kansas, uh, we've had stay at home orders for about six or eight weeks, give or take a little bit. So, uh, just to kind of put perspective on right. what we might be talking about, uh, you know, who knows what week it is or what day it is, but it's definitely a weird time for sure. Back to Wichita, were you able to go, um, I guess, including uh, Garden City, were you able to go K through 12 at Catholic yes. school? Yes. Uh, so I, I did kindergarten actually at a public school, uh, but then so uh, first grade through for, through 12th grade um, Catholic school all the way. Uh, I uh, see our altar server. I think we started in third grade. I don't remember that too much. I just remember getting in trouble a lot in third and fifth grade. Um, I don't know if it was the teachers. Uh, but uh, then in, um, yeah, we had a, a K through 8 um, at St. Margaret Mary. And then I went to Bishop Carroll High School, uh, Catholic High School there in Wichita um, for, yeah, those four years. Graduated in the year 2000. And... Um, during during high school, I was, I was uh, well, when I turned 16, I was like, I need to work because I want money so I can buy what I want and not keep on getting the hand-me-downs that my brother and sister left behind me. And um, so I worked at Pizza Hut uh, at, uh, at a little Pizza Hut store there in Wichita. It was uh, it was good. My brother and my sister, though, they worked at a Dillon store just right across the street from where we lived. And I didn't want to work there. Uh, but I worked for Pizza Hut for a year. Uh, and then I started to work at that Dillon store because Pizza Hut was only paying. I was just a waiter, you know, making $2.13 plus tips. Tips were pretty cool. Uh, but, of course, you know how, how uh, 
you worked like a, a, a six to 10 shift and you were supposed to get off at 10. Well, you know, that was when the doors closed. Sure. And you got that family that came in at 9.58 and you're serving them. And so I could have been, I could have been there until like 11 something, you know, because I'm waiting for this family to get their food to eat and then clean up after them. And I was like, I can't do that. Like I'm in high school. I've got to, I've got to, uh, you know, pay attention to my schooling. And so, uh, then I started working at, at that Dillon store with my brother and my sister and, uh, it was it was good. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I didn't do any sports in high school. I just sang in choir, and so it was just a matter of asking off for uh, you know those choir things. And then the the store that we worked at, uh, they were pretty good at at giving us like every other Sunday off. We were expected to work at least you know a couple Sundays a month and. Um, so I definitely kept my, my Sunday obligation up, always, always went to mass. Um, and then, um, what happened? Let's see here in, in high school, I, I don't know. I was kind of the nerdy type. I had big classes. Um, uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do in life and I ended up, um, my senior year taking some art classes. And prior to that, I loved to draw and I thought I could draw. I thought I could also write. Uh, I love to write little poems and stuff like that. They weren't good. My drawings weren't that good. Um, but it was fun. I mean, I would just do some tracing and stuff like that. Uh, it's kind of interesting now. My my nephew, who is, he, he just turned 18. He'll be a senior uh, this, this fall. And uh, he kind of has a lot of traits like me, and he loves the things that I love. And so I'm seeing him drawing, and he sends me text messages of them, and he's like got these story ideas. And he's a he's a smart cookie, and I'm just like, God, you got a lot to learn, man. And so I just uh, I back off, and and uh, but I also encourage him quite a bit. And uh, uh, but anyways, I I ended up. Uh, not thinking that I needed to take art classes because I thought I could draw well, right? And and uh, also uh, my brother had kind of a run-in with the art teacher there at the school at the time. And uh, he – of course, it was a Catholic school, so anything that you drew that was kind of questionable all of a sudden like got blown out of proportion. And, um, and so my brother kind of went through the ringer for that. And I was like, I love to draw dragons and, you know, people with swords, you know, like this is violent stuff. And so I don't want to get in trouble. And so then uh, I finally started to take classes and I realized, wow, there are so many things that I didn't know. And I, I, I learned techniques and, and stuff. And then I really enjoyed my teacher and I talked to her about the situation and she said, yeah, it, it totally got blown out of proportion with the counselors. I didn't mean anything by it. And so she put me at ease with that. And in fact, working with her and having her encourage me, I was like, I know what I want to do. I want to be an art teacher and I would love to come back to, to Bishop Carroll to be an art teacher. And so that's what I signed up for. Um, for, for college stuff was, you know, getting into art education. So started, uh, started that in the, the fall of, of 2000. 
that's awesome. I, um, I didn't know we had that in common. I, uh, I asked you, shoot, it's been six or eight weeks ago now, but I was like, Hey, how old are you? We're five or six years apart. So not, not too much difference, but, uh, I was an art major in college too. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And you went down the graphic design route. That's right. Yeah. I just went drawing, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, I wish I would have gotten more into graphic stuff, but you know, actually in, in the year 2000, um, it it wasn't like advancements that we see now mm-hmm. weren't as big. And so, um, and I didn't have money for my own computer. My brother got his, he, he got a gateway computer. And so, um, which is, which is interesting, which kind of goes into rolls kind of into the next portion of this story is, um, my senior year of high school, I had some really good friends from middle school, um, there were there were a few of them that went into Bishop Carroll with me, but uh, a couple of my really close friends, my best friends, they actually ended up going to the, some of the public schools there and, in Wichita, and um, so they ended up um, getting a chance to graduate early, and in graduating early, they just kind of. I don't know. They, they, they lived a different lifestyle and they were, they were actually a year older than me. And so they, they were getting into some things that were really bad. And I was, ah, I'm still probably, I'm kind of known to be this way. Uh, I was the goody goody type of, you know, I wasn't getting into the, the drugs and I really resisted that. And, uh, I ended up having a, a huge falling out with that friend group because of what they were getting into. And, uh, I, I didn't know where to go. Um, and so, um, I, I went online. <laughs> I actually went to music. I, uh, something that a lot of people don't know about me was that I, in high school, I used to listen to a lot of rap and I thought that I could rap and, uh, that wasn't true. Uh, but I have a lot of recordings of me attempting to do that. And, uh, I say if, like, YouTube was big in that year, like, you would have probably seen me or I can go back and show you, like, how cool I was and then see all the comments about, like, get off the internet, you know. <laughs> we are, we're blessed in the age that we are because I couldn't imagine kids nowadays how quickly they post things oh, gosh. And, yeah. and how those things can haunt them for right. the rest of their lives. That's... And we're, we're right on the edge of, right. of that trouble era yeah. where, um, yeah, thank God we're, we grew up when we did. Right. Right. So I, I ended up, um, listening to this, this album of a band from San Francisco. I just picked it up in the store and I really enjoyed the music from it. And, uh, it was like kind of a, a soundtrack that was, completely telling my story and i was like this is amazing and so i was like i need to go find out if i could go see this band do you remember remember the band name oh yeah stroke nine okay Um, oh okay yeah so um then and uh the the album was was just was great and of course i went online looked up their website um was looking at tour stuff and of course everything was on the on the West coast. And I'm like, I'm not going to be able to go see them or whatnot. But I was looking through their back then there was message boards and forums and stuff like that. And I saw this, 
this name up there from a girl in Manhattan, Kansas. And I was like, oh, this person's close. Like, I would love to talk to somebody close by who knows about this band and just talk, you know, mano y mano, right? You know, and so I messaged her and then we began to message each other back and forth. And um, long story short, I ended up dating that girl long distance for my whole uh, freshman year of, of college. And, uh, yeah, and then I ended up after that year at going to Manhattan, Kansas, and then going to K-State to pursue our education. Um, and then – but in that – year that we were dating and getting to know each other um more and more like after of course i went to manhattan i met her and whatnot so i was gonna say (laughs) did you actually meet face to face was this all online and no 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 it was uh uh yeah it was it was pretty it was pretty cool like we we uh um yeah we we exchanged um, addresses and like we sent mail back and forth and then we went and actually uh, met up with each other we walked around the the manhattan mall uh for uh i don't know for like four hours or something like that and her dad her, her parents this is super wise her parents were really concerned because they're like what is this internet stuff and you met sure. this guy from wichita kansas and mm-hmm. and so her, I met her parent, her at least her dad, that very first meeting, and you know, like we just kind of went around and and talked and just, yeah. I, but ended up, she was uh, a Presbyterian, uh, very very Christian young lady, and uh, very involved with her church there in Manhattan, and uh, very involved with the church camp that she had um, gone through and. And uh, we listened to a lot of the same music, and we we just really imbibed that together. Like, uh, but I, of course, though, was really into my faith, and this is this is something that was very very marked in my life. After I was confirmed in, uh, I'll go back a little bit. So my freshman year of high school, I was confirmed uh, in this huge ceremony in Kansas at um, the. Uh, um, why can't I remember it's what it's called? Uh, in the, Salina, the big call. It wasn't the Coliseum. It was the oh okay. Uh, there at WSU. Why can't I? Cessna Stadium. That that thing. Okay, <laughs> it's you. getting it's getting torn down. I think that's why I'm like we're trying to repress that. Like I don't want to see. So it's a we we all there was a huge huge ceremony of like. Um, Everybody in Kansas basically was was confirmed. It was like freshmen and sophomores and, and whatever diocese, you know. And it was a hot day in May. My brother was being confirmed, so he sat next to me. Um, there were people passing out, but I was actually confirmed by the bishop of Wichita at that time, Eugene Gerber. So, I mean, I I was into my faith. I knew my faith. And I knew the love of the Eucharist. I had a love for the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. And um, it was definitely something that I talked with her about. And this gets into my vocation story, like super, super hardcore. We had a conversation um, about the real presence of the Eucharist. I was like, this is what we Catholics believe. 
and I asked her, "Does this is this what you believe as a Presbyterian?" She's like, "Yeah, but yeah." And I was just like, "Okay, cool. This is great, you know." And uh, we're we're doing this, of course, online, not over phone. It's just in 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 text and whatnot. Uh, but it was it was a great conversation, and uh, I was so stoked afterwards. I we ended our conversation, and I I go and I lay down in bed, and I know we we started off about talking about prayer, and this is kind of the way that I prayed back then, and in some ways I want to get back to it. Uh, it's it's just kind of interesting how prayer evolves as you grow older. Um, but I would go, I would I would do this. I would go. Hey God, how's it going? And of course, it would just be a little blank there, right? And then I'd be like, "My day was great. Thank you for such and such." That evening, I was like, "Thank you for my knowledge of my faith and and my love of the Eucharist, or something like that." And then I go, "I I really love this girl, and I'm gonna marry her, and uh, it's gonna be amazing." And I fell asleep. Thirty minutes later, I wake up. And it, the lights are still on because I didn't wasn't planning on falling asleep, but this is usually how it worked, anyways. <laughs> so, but I was like, "Why are the lights still on?" And then I realized I had the most profound dream, and I just started crying because I, in my dream, in that thirty minutes, I had seen myself holding up the Eucharist. I was I was holding it up like the priest in the elevation during the consecration. There were no words. I just know that that was what God was calling me to be, was a priest. And I was like crying because I knew exactly what God was calling me to do. And so I, my, uh, something about me too, like I, I had, uh, I have pretty vivid dreams sometimes and I would tell my mom about them and she's like, will you stop telling me these? And she gave me a little book and had me write them in the book. And so, um, I actually still have that book. I, I wrote this down and I, I, I said, God, I know what you're calling me to be, but no, I choose to date this girl. I love her. I'm going to marry her. And I'm going to give you priests once we have children and dot, dot, dot. Right? That's awesome. So, uh, so yeah. That, and what was, what was cool was, of course, I dated it December 8th. Nice. 2000. Yeah. What's so, the significance of December 8th? December 8th is the Immaculate Conception, the Feast of Our Lady of Ma- the Immaculate Conception. So that's her being conceived in the womb of her mother as immaculate without any sin. And so in some ways it's just like, here is God like putting into me the conception of my like vocation. Mm-hmm. And then of course, this is what I say. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I ca- I've been calling them little God things. It's those, those amazing things. And, um, I just, I wrote a note to myself the other day of, of one of these. And I just, I want to keep that in my life of, um, you, you know, here's a little God moment. And if I don't write it down, I'll probably forget about it. And like you said, dating it and, and being able to look back on those things. 
Um, I had this question for later, but it seems sure. perfect for right now. Um, what's your favorite moment at Mass? I think we might already know it, but um, while you're thinking of that, I, I always there's one of the Eucharistic prayers that says, um, send your spirit like the dewfall. Right. And make this into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's personally my favorite one, uh, favorite part of Mass. What's yours? Right. So uh, some of my favorite parts, I mean, I, I don't have one favorite part so, <laughs> because all of it is amazing. But uh, Eucharistic Prayer 1, it, which is also called the Roman Canon. So it's called the Roman Canon because it lists out all the saints' names. Mm-hmm. And it's usually people catch on to it and they're like, oh, no, this is the really long one. And I say, hey, guys, it's we're receiving Jesus. Let's not complain, right? Like, this is the amazing part. But there, there's something called the epiclesis in the Mass, and it's the, the sending down of the Holy Spirit. The, the priest makes a movement of, of putting his hands over the gifts, uh, and he, sends, he, he usually says something like, like you said. You actually said it. Um, like the dewfall, right? That's actually the epiclesis for Eucharistic prayer too. But uh, it, it, it's different for all of the Eucharistic prayers that are there. There's so many of them. There's four basic ones that we kind of hear all the time, or depending on what priest prefers what and which one is allowed at certain times. Um, but Eucharistic prayer one um, has has its... Let me go back. All of them actually have something that's called a second epiclesis, and it's the sending of the gifts back to the Holy Spirit, that they become one body in Christ, that we become one body in Christ. So that's sending down the Holy Spirit to come down and take the gifts that we just offered and have them go back so that we can become uh, that that gift to God in, in heaven. In the Eucharistic prayer 1, the the priest actually bows at it and and you'll you'll notice it it's lord um we ask that your heavenly angel come and receive these gifts at this holy altar to present to you in heaven and it's it's so beautiful and in fact uh the newest priest in our diocese uh, father michael liker um who let's all pray for him because he's hopefully getting a new uh, liver here in a few days on the, the 22nd. Um, at his Mass of Thanksgiving that he had here at St. Joe's in, in Hayes, he um, he was breaking down at it. And it was absolutely beautiful. And, mm-hmm. like, I'm thinking about it, I'm breaking down. So I was there. It was awesome. Yeah. And so I, I just think that that is it, – it, it, it embodies what we as Christians do. I mean, there's the I mean, of course there's the elevation of the hosts and 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 that is a beautiful moment where you can actually adore the Lord because that's what we're called to do. Look at Him and adore Him. Say, Lord, Lord and my God. You could say that in your heart, um, but it's it's just that motion, and that's why the Eucharistic prayer one is so beautiful because it actually has the priest do movements uh, like bowing before the Lord at this time and praying this prayer and and you just you just can see it and and the priest is uh anyways that's kind of one of my my favorite parts 
So why is mass so special? Why do we have that special word? It's mass. We're not going to church. We're going to celebrate the mass. Right. So it's the, the holy sacrifice of the mass. Um, that's what's special about it. It is, it is the sanctification of the body of Christ. All of us being sanctified by Jesus Christ, who is the greatest offering of sacrifice. And so he says, I want to make you holy. And so we, in order to be made holy, need to offer him our gifts uh, our sorrows, our our joys, you know, and um, what we're sustained by, anything, we give them to him, and it's represented in wine and wheat, and those things are taken by God, and He says, "I'm going to give them back to you, but I'm going to give them back to you the thing by which you will be made holy." through. And so the sacrifice then is us laying down ourselves and saying, Jesus laid down himself for us. Can we do the same? And so it's a, it's a continual offering of, of ourselves. That's what the mass is for. Mass specifically means mission. And our mission, though the mass is the Eucharist, the confection of the body, blood, soul, and divinity into uh, bread and wine. They become for us food to eat and be nourished that that takes away sins, venial sins at least. Um, But it will prepare you then to go out on mission. So the Mass isn't necessarily completed when you receive it mass still keeps going just period like uh the priest goes forward and uh there's a common prayer that priests just kind of pick up and they they know when they kiss the altar it is may this be my first mass my last mass my only mass this is my only mission this is my first mission this is my last mission. And so then I get to go and tell people, I'm giving you food for the journey. And the last time you receive the Eucharist is enough to get you to jump and do the things of God uh, with, a, with a huge leap of faith. And it's not a blind faith. It is faith that is completely evidential and providential. I mean, God's going to provide for us. Uh, and and he, he provides us with, the, with his word and scripture, but he also provides for us in the mass those commands put to action in Christ, in the priests, in the faithful who are there participating in it. That's what the mass is. We could just like wrap it up like that was amazing. That was a right. knowledge bomb there, but uh, we can't because people want to know what happened after you said no oh, yeah. to God. Well, <laughs> I became a priest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I went there too. So uh, 
No, so what happened was, so I went up to K-State and um, got really involved at uh, St. Isidore's, uh, which is kind of fitting that we're t- I'm talking about St. Isidore's mm-hmm. today, May 15, 2020, is uh, the Feast of St. Isidore, the mm-hmm. farmer, and he is the patron of the student center there, and uh, I got really involved there, and not really, I mean, I was working at Dylan's, uh, I transferred up there to a store on the uh, east side, uh, as I, there's West Loop, I, I call it East Loop, we, we were the the pickle Dylan. It was kind of funny. Anyways, uh, which which is bizarre because so I worked at that store. My my general manager uh, was a name. Uh, was her name was uh, Cindy Wall, and she went through school with Father Fred Gatchett. And so they were. She would tell me all these stories about Father Fred Gatchett, and somehow she knew that I was Catholic. Uh, I guess I was pretty vocal about my faith, but, um, anyways, uh, so I got involved with, with, uh, St. Isidore's and was going through art education, but I was with, uh, with this young lady who was Presbyterian and I invited her into the RCIA program. So she was coming to join the church and I was her sponsor and and this is the girl you were dating. This is the girl that I okay. was dating. The one that, like I said, you know, God, this is the one I want to marry. Mm-hmm. I'm no to you, yes to her, right? Uh-huh. So I I chose, and I say this, you know, this is this is discernment. I discerned, and I said I'm going to do this. The thing was, is that I didn't get hung up on going. I'm not doing God's will, you know. I I, I said no, God, you come with me. And there's there's some truth in that, like. Um, God doesn't want to abandon us, and he won't abandon us. He actually wants to be part of something that you delight in, as long as it's not sin. And so when you say, God, come with me, he's like, all right, I want to provide for you in that. I got to say something that I noticed, though, is is you didn't, you didn't say no to God. No, I'm not going to come, become a priest. I am going to become a drug dealer. You know, right, you yeah, said yeah. no God, I'm going to get married and have children and be a Catholic father, not a priest father, a, a dad. Um, and But I want to ask you what ticked or what pushed this girl into RCIA? What made her probably consider <laughs> jump in the fence? It's called evangelating. Um, <laughs> So uh, she and I were, uh, I mean, we talked about the faith quite a bit. And um, Hang on. We need a shirt. Hashtag evangelating. Yeah, yeah. Hashtag evangelating. Yeah. I won't wear it, though. Uh, you, <laughs> you, no, you can't wear it either. You're married, man. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I uh, uh, I would like to say that, that we, were, we were good for each other, but I Obviously, it didn't work out, so we weren't. But um, she um, was interested, and uh, I, like I said, I invited, and she she received that. And I think that's what a lot of Catholics need to do, uh, especially if you're dating somebody that is not Catholic. Just say, "Hey, look, you know, I don't know." Especially if you don't know a lot about your faith, but you're like, "I'm pretty sure." Uh, I'm supposed to be Catholic and remain Catholic, go to RCIA. Like, really get into that. That's the right of Christian initiation for of, for adults or of adults. I 
can't remember the preposition there, but um, that it, it'll it'll give you some background about why we do what we do, and it'll allow people to to learn more about their their Catholic faith. And it doesn't mean you have to become Catholic. Correct. It's just more information. And then at the end of that, if you decide that's what you want to do, you're you're in line to go to it. Right. Exactly. And in fact, that's what happened was. Um, so that first year that we were there in 2001, um, yeah, and so she was she was supposed to join actually in, in uh, 2002, and she didn't end up joining. Um, she ended up joining in 2003. Uh, so she took two years to go through the RCIA program, which was fantastic for me because uh, it was Father Keith Weber. He's now the, uh, the pastor at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Church in, um, in Salina. And it, this guy just had his uh, his program, his RCIA program was just so flawless. It was amazing. He he was able to bring in so many aspects of the Bible into certain stories. Uh, or, I'm sorry, into certain lessons about uh, um, the sacraments, and then he just he had this amazing like. Uh, there's something that's popular nowadays. It's like this Bible timeline uh, series or uh, that's put out by the Augusta Institute. Like I swear uh, that Father Keith had this program prior to, and it was just his. I mean, he was the one that worked it up. And and in fact, we um, we had some some I had some mutual friends with him, and uh, this one lady she wanted to actually get a grant to put his program together. This is how good it was and how uh, just so um, inclusive of, of all these aspects. And she was trying to get it um, through uh, OSV, our Sunday visitor, and they, they ended up dropping some things because it just wasn't going to work out. But or I think it was probably too big. That's how, how good it was, sure. you know. And so um, – what happened though is like I went to I went to school, you know, Catholic school my whole life, and and here I am in college, like just getting this well-rounded, like succinct lesson on the faith, and I was like, this is amazing, and my faith, and and the things that I did at mass just came to alive to me, and I'm like, this is so so great. And so I, I just came into the, into my faith a little bit more, and she she was loving it, um, though she had some pushback from her from her family, and that was one of the reasons why she wasn't she didn't join after that first year. Uh, and then um, what happened was uh, she ended up graduating uh, in two thousand four, and she went into vet school, and then her life kind of changed and and became a little bit more rigorous for her and I saw her less and I also had some things that were that were going on in my life my my grandfather passed away um but I had asked her to marry me and uh we were engaged for a whole year and in fact we we pretty much uh ended our engagement uh like a year like it was like a full year and we ended up our our uh, engagement because um well she just yeah just we just grew distant in some ways i mean it was tough it was tough for her uh we we actually uh beautifully enough 
uh, we went through counseling to break up. It was kind of interesting. And I was like, I want to go through marriage prep stuff. Like that's supposed to be the next step. And she's like, no, I I need to do counseling. And, uh, the counseling actually helped us, uh, end our relationship uh, on a really good note. And, um, yeah. Uh, And so, and it's kind of interesting now St. Isidore's marriage prep uh, because the story has me becoming a priest at St. Isidore's when I, my first assignment as a priest, I'm at St. Isidore's for two years and I'm doing marriage prep there. I'm the priest leading them. That's amazing. What's beautiful is that they actually have a, have a joint thing with the, uh, K, uh, KSU family center, which is the counseling service that she and I went through mm-hmm. and they they do their the kind of their inventory for for the couples and and they give them couple therapy uh, not therapy counseling to to bring them in uh, to ask them questions about you know family of origin stuff and so I just think it's it's great that that's actually now a key element to the, even the marriage prep at Saint Isidore and I don't see how anybody can listen to that story and say coincidence right no no no, no it's it's it was, just like god just like here, here's all these things aligning and 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 of course like what what happens to me though after that is i i i look i look back on it and i go well it's we broke up in 2004 and we um I, I I start thinking about this story, right, of of me seeing this dream of mine, and I go, Father Keith, I need to talk to you. Maybe maybe I'm supposed to do the seminary thing. And so he meets with me, and he gives me like uh, discernment types of of things, right? And I I do these with 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 my guys now. If anybody wants to do discernment, uh, he is a excuse me. Uh, He's an accountant, so he does these T-charts, and he's like, okay, I want you to do married life, single life, and priesthood. Do a T-chart, pros and cons. What are your pros? What do you like? What do you dislike? Pros and cons of each of these. And then just bring them in, in to me, and we'll talk about them. And so that's what I did. Like I, I seriously sat down. Went to prayer, prayer with these, and wrote them in lists of things that I liked. And of course, marriage was like super, super big at that time. Sure. Uh, and then, uh, just one of the things that he asked me though is like, after meeting so many times, he's like, he he just kind of got this this feel for me, and he asked me, he's like, "Do you want to be a priest?" And I said, "No." And he's like, "Well, I don't think you're going to be happy." if you don't want to be a priest. And so I was like, Oh, thank God. <laughs> I was like, thank you God for this wise priest. My out. Uh, my, yeah, my out. And so like I started to, to date again. And then I uh, got into a, a relationship with a young lady uh, and, and, and actually several relationships. And uh, I just didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I thought I do. I thought I did, but um uh, some, uh, but they were, what happened though in 2005 was, um, my sister, uh, she's five years older than me, Katie. She ends up, um, dying. Uh, she, she, 
uh, died from a pulmonary embolism and, uh, she was 28 years old and I, yeah, I was pretty devastated. And I was like, I, I, like I said, I didn't know what I was doing at that time. I was like, just going through school, just doing all this stuff. Just thought I had had enough time because whatever, you know, because I was kind of waiting on the, the ex fiance and her schooling, which was, you know, get through vet school. So I had kind of some, kind of some, you know, I was definitely just going to follow wherever she went type of mm-hmm. thing. So I could take my own time with it, but I needed something to kind of rattle me in a way. And unfortunately what rattled me was my, my sister's death. And I was just like, I know I need to get back home. I know I need to get, uh, to be with my mom and my dad. Um, and so then I, I ended up moving, graduating in 2006 with my Bachelor of Fine Arts. I had dropped off the ed part. <laughs> that was it's a long story, too. I mean, I I just didn't want to get into my teaching blocks and whatnot. So, And I uh, ended up going back to Wichita, living in the house that I grew up in there, and working at a Dillon store. And then I was dating a young lady at that time. That relationship didn't work out. I started to date another young lady, and that relationship was just very, very blah. It was it was not a good, healthy relationship. And this was the relationship that, um, for me, was very influential in me learning a lot about who I was and who I am and how God was calling me in it. It's it's so strange. It was a, it was a very unhealthy relationship, but the things that were happening to me in that relationship, such as I listen, used to listen to certain types of music that I really loved, and I really emoted with. She didn't like that music, and so for me to impress her, I just stopped listening to that music and I didn't like her music. So I stopped listening to music. So then I started listening to talk radio. If I wasn't talking to her all the time, I then was listening to talk radio and then it slowly eased into Catholic talk radio. And it's kind of funny here. I am sitting in a Catholic radio station talking to you about my vocation story and how like Catholic radio kind of becomes a little bit in, of an influence in, into that as well. Uh, then uh, I, we kind of dated off and on. Um, I'm still going to Mass. I still love the Eucharist, uh, of, of course, but I'm also living a bad lifestyle. And in that time, though, I, I I didn't have a spiritual director, but I was like, I know that I cannot live this way with her and still receive the Eucharist. And I'm sure she's not Catholic. Exactly. She's not Catholic at all. In fact, um, we had that conversation quite a bit, and she'd be like, I don't want to become Catholic. Um, she was Baptist. And she came into the Baptist faith a little bit later in life. And so she really resisted my Catholic um, influence on her. And, of course, I'm clouded by ooey-gooey love stuff and not really thinking about it intellectually going, yeah, this isn't going to work. It was, oh, I can make it work. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it, we'll we'll figure this out. I'm stronger than this. Like I start telling these lies about myself and about what I can do and possibly could do with her, and 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 I'm just leading myself down down this pit of despair in a way. Uh, and but what happens though is I end up not receiving communion, and I would invite her to come to to mass with me. And I, I remember particularly, I would still go up and receive a blessing, and I invited her to come with me, and I would um, kind of let her go forward first to receive it, and then I would be behind her, and then she would recognize that I was actually crying because I was, I like, I was longing to receive Jesus, and I was like, I know I can't because of her, and because of my choices with her, and so. And then she would like look at me. She's like, I know it's sad that your sister died, you know, because we, we had talked about this stuff. And I'm just like, I, I can't explain it. It's you. Like you are why I can't. This, this is why I'm crying. <laughs> and then um, what would happen, though, is she would end up going. We would end up dating long distance. She would end up going to school. Um, in uh, Topeka and I would be down in Wichita and um, we stopped talking often because she was in school a lot. And so what I was starting to do then was starting to go to daily mass. And if I wasn't talking with her, uh, which was pretty much a lot, like, I mean, this was, this was how manipulative she was of me. And it's so in, 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 like uh, making this an unhealthy relationship because it was just this dependence and, and it's called enmeshment when, when this happened, it says like you, you have to be with each other all the time. And that is so unhealthy. Uh, I can, I can pick it up on in, in couples now that I've, that I've gone through this in my own life and I'm not, I'm not afraid of talking about it because I, I know it could set you free from it. Sure. Right. Um, but what happened was, um, I would, I would go to go to mass. I'd be like, Hey, I'm going to pray. And she's like, okay, whatever, you know. So I, w- I would go and seriously going 30 minutes before mass, a daily mass, um, I would be so at peace. Because it, it, any time that I either I was talking to her or not talking to her, I was just so frazzled. Everything was like, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? What's the solution to this? And, and I, w- I would learn how to be quiet. And in fact, in this time, I would also learn that I couldn't argue with her. And so I was, I was slowly teaching myself to realize that I could not solve her problems, that there was no way that I could, I can even win an argument. And so I, I resigned to prayer. And, and, and so I wasn't battling with my, with her in my head even, you know, and so mass and prayer were things that were just like God was weaving himself into me and saying, hey, I, I've got something better for you. What, what is it about conversations with, with Protestants that make us better? Because you mentioned with her, there was no arguing, but drove you to, to prayer um, with the, the girl you were engaged with. Um, your 
your arguments, your conversations with her drove you both into the Catholic Church and deeper into your faith. I've got a couple of buddies that are not Catholic, and I love arguing with them because in the end, I become more solid in my convictions and and in my faith. Why is that? I I believe it's because they're asking really good questions and and um questions we may not think to ask ourselves exactly i and it, more background to this is my dad is is a convert to the catholic faith he's came came from he was born and raised a methodist and so um when he met my mom he was surprised to see a catholic holding a bible that was the first time he met my mom my mom held a bible so there's this myth that you know, Catholics don't read the Bible. I actually have a Bible in front of me right now, you know, and I've got, I've had this since my freshman year of high school and I, I love this Bible, but it, it's, it's all these myths that people hear about the Catholic church. And so when they actually encounter an, a, an authentic Catholic who, who actually has the faith and maybe if it's, it's even that little faith that they, that they've received their first communion, they've gone to mass every Sunday with their parents and then they become 18 and they're like dropped off at college and they're like, what do I do now? And, and we at, at, at a student center, and this is, was true for me and in, in my life was I went to the thing that I knew and was familiar with. I went to the Catholic church and I, I encountered really good Christians who knew their faith and could talk themselves up to me. And, and just really engaged me really well with that friendship kind of aspect. But there's also um, this weird sense of uh, I know my I'm right, right? Mm-hmm. And we we get this 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 we become pretty stubborn in some of what, what we think, you know. And and so um, and we we want to figure that out. It's like that's this is correct. Like why do I believe that this is really the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Like, why did I just drink the Kool-Aid and my, like, I'm just following what my Mm -hmm. parents do, you know? And, and, uh, people end up taking it and going, no, no, this is actually on good, solid footing. I mean, it's so solid. It's, it's called a rock in Peter, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's in the Pope. And so we, we end up doing that apologetics for ourselves in order to do the apologetics for others. And so um, that's that's one thing is that we're just kind of – we're challenged. Uh, and there's a lot of guys who come to seminary via uh, a, a Protestant uh, girlfriend. And I, I, I think of Father Gail Hammerschmidt. In fact, that's – when I met Father Gail was when he was – a sponsor for his girlfriend at St. Isidore's as I was a sponsor for my then girlfriend. So it's small world. Yeah, it's crazy. And what's even crazier too is that that same year that my first year of, of, of being at St. Uh, at Kansas state, father Brian Logger was there at K state studying a semester and something. I don't remember, but you know, it's like God sets like little sparks ago in, and and he he fans it, mm-hmm. and and it's up to us to kind of like go. I'm gonna jump into this fire, and we're gonna do it. So, why, in my experience anyway, are converts better? And what I mean by that is, uh, like you said, your dad saw your mom 
it was the first Catholic with a Bible. Um, but this was something I can't remember who I was telling the other day, but, uh, we have all of these amazing books by Scott Hahn, a convert who is doing more to bring people to the faith than any Catholic, any cradle Catholic I've ever heard of, right. you know, and like your dad, my dad's a, a convert too. And just to see them in action in their faith, it's like, I know a lot of cradle Catholics and you guys are, are doing a way better job. Right, right. Why is that? So that, that has a, a really common uh, observation. And, and I believe it's just, they, they've had a relationship with Christ. I mean, we started off our conversation talking about prayer and that personal relationship with Christ. And then they got to see it activated in the, in the Eucharist. And they're like, Oh Yeah. This is amazing, and I want to spread this. This is the truth. And and when the truth hits you, it sets you free. And so they have that freedom and that that uh, that conviction that says, I, I, I could do this. Like, I, I'm, re- I'm ready to jump in because everything that the, the, the Catholic Church does is it, it, it enhances. We always say it's, it offers a fullness of grace that is promised to us by Jesus Christ in the Gospels. And so when they recognize that, oh, the Catholic Church is actually in Scripture, that the Catholic Church is actually the one that gave us Scripture, that everything's hand in hand, that they they trust it more Instead of, of, of falling into, uh, I'll call them little conspiracy theories of, oh, um, this really truly isn't a, a, a Christian religion. Instead, let me show you where, how, like, the devil weaved in here. And the moment that you, like, you see, like, the hand of the devil in something, you feel like everything is bad that that that's touched it. And it's just like... Wait, 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 wait. If, if the Catholic Church is bad, then what name do we work in? Like, you know, Jesus says this, you know, if, if, if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, how else do you casting out demons? Mm-hmm. You know, like, could you, could you at least look at the works to see that the works are done by God? And, and that's, what, that's what I believe converts have done. They've like, oh, ah. This is amazing. This is this is God's work, and and it's true. And so they they just want to they want to activate that, and they want to be partakers in it so much more than than a cradle Catholic is, because we kind of take it for granted in some ways. Mm-hmm. I gotta gotta tie up the loose strings. Sure. So now you're you're in Wichita. You're on and off girlfriends in Topeka, right? I got to get you into seminary eventually. How does that, how do you jump that chasm? What happens is she actually gets interested in the Catholic faith as well. And so she starts going to a church in Topeka and she's kind of going through RCIA. Um, She's really not that into it. She goes. uh, But uh, what happens is it's 2009 Holy Week. I end up asking off for Holy Week and because I thought maybe she was going to join, but she wasn't able to um, because she she was reluctant. 
but she wanted to see what the what this looked like. So um, what happens is I go down and it's it's Good Friday, and Good Friday of two thousand nine. And what's the first thing that happens at a Good Friday service? Do you know, Tucker? There's no lights on. There's no holy oh. water when you walk in. Right. It's v- the tabernacle's open. Right. It's a very empty, right, solemn place to be. Right. So, and then the very first thing happens is since there's no there's no music, there's really no movement. The priest comes in and he does what? He lays on the floor. He lays on the floor. R- lies prostrate. Yes. Or, right. Yeah, yeah. Prostrate. So. So the priest does that, and the congregation then kneels. So the priest comes in and does that, and I'm kneeling there, and she's sitting, or she's kneeling next to me, and she's like, what are we doing? What's going on? She's asking me all these questions. And uh, And if you've really gone through RCIA, you shouldn't have very many questions at this point, right? Right, 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 right. And that's a a good point. I didn't even think about that. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, she... um, uh, so I, I'm, I'm looking at this priest laying on the floor, and I go, you know, had I gone to seminary out of high school, I could be a priest by now, and that could be me. And then I got this overwhelming feeling that should be me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, oh, no, oh, no. And I'm, like, starting to cry, and I'm like, uh, you know, I, like I, I've cried around her before, and she just misreads it, and she just thinks that it's weak and, and whatnot. And so I'm, like, holding back my tears. And as I'm holding back my tears, she turns and whispers into my ear, why didn't you become a Catholic priest? That hit me so hard. That That... What you call a spiritual two by four, <laughs> because it was just that subtle of God coming at you and speaking to you in a gesture and in somebody you don't expect, which is an unhealthy relationship, a partner in your relationship that you're that is not good, <laughs> and all of a sudden she's like pointing to the <laughs> truth of who I am, and I'm like, oh. Wow, and so that that evening, she and I uh, had a, had a conversation, and she's like, "I think I'm blocking you. I think there's just something that's going on." And dot dot dot. Um, and I was just like, "I don't know how to tell her this." <laughs> and then um, Easter Vigil comes around, and in fact, we drove from Topeka to Manhattan, Kansas, so I can watch the Easter Vigil at St. Isidore's because I loved Easter Vigil there. Uh, and it, it happened so beautifully the way that it was that it was done, uh, and uh, it's, you just you just have to see it in order for you to experience it. And I wanted her to see it and experience it. And uh, long story short, there it, it she didn't find it that edifying or something, and or actually, I didn't care that she didn't find it edifying. It was my. My truth was I need to go to seminary. And for people who don't know, Easter Vigil is is grueling. Um, most Catholics don't even want to try to admit that they appreciate it. Or, you know, that's one that 
you probably don't want to take your two or three year old to, um, they're, they're welcome to come, but it's late at night It's long. Um, there's lots of, it's beautiful. It's amazing. I want to talk it up. I don't want to negate it all that, but because it's, it is, it, the, the lot of readings are tell you the, the salvation history, um, there, there are um, bringing people into the Catholic Church is when baptisms happen. And here in COVID time, I haven't done that yet. I've got, I've got three people who are waiting to be baptized and one person wait, waiting to become full communion with the Catholic Church. And I haven't been able to do that. I'm so eager to do that. And, and it's just awful that we've been – I had our hands tied. Anyways, so. Well, and I – what I was getting at with all the negative that I was spilling out of it is that if you take somebody to that and they don't see the beauty in it, no offense, it's time to kick them to the curb. You know, like <laughs> Amen. It's, Amen. it's easy to say, look how beautiful that was. And they shrug their shoulders and go, I don't get it. Yeah. It's, it's right. You don't get it. So what happened was, uh, she, I ended up telling her, I was like, you know, I really think I need to go to the seminary and, uh, uh, I, I have somebody I need to talk to. And so I, I immediately emailed Father Keith and said, hey, I need to get into this. And um, what ended up happening was um, she really resisted breaking up with me. And um, we our relationship ended on a, on a pretty sour note. Uh, it it, it um, yeah, like I, I haven't talked to her. That's how bad it was, you know, so it. it she just really didn't want this to happen for me. She wasn't, she wasn't happy about this. And, uh, so anyways, um, what would happen is I would go into, um, discernment with the Wichita diocese. And, uh, because that's where I'm from. Father Keith is, uh, his wisdom was, well, at least go to your home diocese. That's where you'll be more comfortable with. And uh, I went down to the Wichita Diocese, uh, and I was just, like, super honest with them about everything that was happening in my life. And just, like, here's my call. Here's my story. Um, here, here's why I believe that God is calling me to be a priest. Uh, I went through, like, four different interviews, uh, psyche, Val, filling out this huge, long questionnaire for the Wichita Diocese. I had all these meetings, hung out with the seminarians and all this stuff. But what has to happen, too, is when you're discerning with a diocese, the diocese is discerning you. And you need to be able to hear them and say, yeah, that's the voice of God. And so what happened, what would happen is um, I would get news that the Wichita diocese said, you're a great candidate. We We really like you. But... The Salina Diocese needs more priests, and you've been very influenced by St. Isidore's, and we believe that you should go up there. I, uh, two things happened. I was like, whoa, didn't expect this at all. But then I became kind of giddy because I was like, this makes sense. Like, God, God like, closed this door and opened this one. Up and he, and it was just like I I can go back to Saint Isidore's I can like have all these things like it 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 just it just made sense to me and and listening to my story too of 
my grandmother is from Hayes, Kansas. I'm I'm related to Father Fred Gatchett. I like I I've have ties back to the Salina Diocese long before I was even here. Because my parents met in Salina, Kansas. <laughs> my dad's from Nyack, New York. You know, it's like what is like this is God's plan. He said, I have this I before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And 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 then I called you. And he called me and he gave me a chance to say no, but then he was faithful to me and he called me out of something that was awful. And so Salina just like ate me up like super quick. They're like, yeah, come on in. Uh, but even prior for before that, my, my spiritual director, Father Keith, he was like, no, before you discern with the Salina diocese, how about you get religious life off of you? <laughs> like, and so he had me go spend a week with, with uh, some Benedictines. And the moment I stepped in and like met with a Benedictine who, who said, here's my story. And, and I was like, I'm not called to be a monk. <laughs> So I was like, I know I'm called to be a priest. I'm 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 ready to join the seminary, and yeah. And so in 2010, the fall of 2010, August, I went to um, St. John Vianney in Denver for my first three years of seminary. And uh, those first two years, Father Gale and Father Brian Logger, uh, Father Gale Hammerschmidt and Father Brian Logger. They were actually uh, like I lived with them. They became deacons their last year, um, and uh, that was my second year was with them. I lived with them, and so I, I formed friendships with them and kind of became you know uh, like really more confident with my my presbyterate, the future of the presbyterate that I was going to join. Uh, the presbyterate being the the group of priests that that you get ordained into. Uh, in the diocese. And, uh, yeah, in 2013, I would be asked by Bishop Weisenberger at the time, uh, to change seminaries. And then I would go out to St. Meinrad, uh, in, in Southern Indiana and spent my, my last four years of seminary there earning my masters of divinity. And, uh, yeah, it was a big adjustment, but God definitely had something unplanned for me out there. So, Another another reason why I like talking to priests and, and want to learn more about them, I, I have so much respect for you guys, but also you're very intelligent. I mean, I, I would not suspect that seminary is easy. Um, and like you talked about the application process, even just to for them to allow you to, to start is not easy quick or easy. And I think that that's a a common misconception of, of the Catholic priesthood of, yeah, all those guys, they don't know what they're talking about and things. I'm going, you know, do you even know what they have to go through? It's, it's not an easy thing, but, um, have you ever had trouble wearing your collar in public or you, have you ever been ridiculed? We live in a, a, a blessed area of right. the U.S. As we talked about a little bit earlier with the COVID thing and and how low our numbers are, and we can easily see that you know we don't live in cities stacked on each other. We have so much open space, and and 
it's it's amazing. So I'm sure you haven't had a whole lot around here, but I right. think the coastal priests have more trouble to worry about that stuff. Yeah, I would I would say that too. Um, so wearing wearing my clerics, um, I really don't I don't get much of the double take. I, I see it, but I don't worry about it. Um, when I, I I have a lot of kind of funny stories. I mean, more like. Uh, where you don't expect a priest is out at the bars, right? And so um, it was actually my my friend's ordination down in um, Oklahoma City, and that was kind of like my first time like wearing the the clerics as a priest, and this gal just kind of saddled up to me and just was like, so you're a real priest? And I was just like, uh are we going to leave you? <laughs> like, it's, but I just engage her, you know, like, you know, she's a human being and she's got questions. And so, but she was standing a little too close to me and I was kind of, kind of cornered. Uh, but I had, I had my, my brother priests around me that were able to kind of like just say, Hey, we're ready to go. And so I was just like, Oh, good to meet you. Take care. <laughs> you know? uh, or like in Aggieville, uh, go out there, uh, when I was at K state, um, like one of my first nights being at St. Isidore's going out and just, I don't know, meeting somebody on the street who is just like, you're a priest? What? And and just start talking to them. And, and they're like, you could go out to the bars because they have all these misconceptions. Sure. Like, like I'm, for some reason, I, all I'm doing is just praying and wearing a hair shirt and and whipping myself and to, to have a connection with God. I'm like, that is not... Not at all what happens. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, I, I, I really, I, I really enjoy wearing my clerics. And since coming here to, to, um, Hayes and being with father, um, Brian, he wears his cassock quite a bit. And so sometimes like you can see me in my cassock, I have not gotten anybody here in Hayes to like go, why are you wearing that? What is that about? Like nobody asks that questions. And I, I realize it's because you've seen Franciscans who wear their habits quite a bit. Sure. And I'm not like going to the grocery store wearing my cassock. Um, I sometimes will go to a restaurant. I'll be in it if if that just happens to be what it is. But that's – it's a, it's – I, I wear it for a liturgical thing and I also wear it as a um, – um, it's, it's a formal wear. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's my dress clothes. So it's my tux basically. So if, if I'm, if I'm not wearing that or I, or if, if I'm, if I'm not wearing that nicely, then I, I, I can look pretty frumpy. Uh, sure. But anyways, I guess that kind of answered your question. I got, I only got a few more and then okay. we can head out. Sweet. But, uh, there's a, do you know who Mark Hart is? The Bible geek. Yeah. He, uh, he has a funny story that, uh, he says, you know, everybody becomes Catholic when they think they're getting ready to die. If you're on a plane and the, the oxygen mass drop, people are doing their sign of the cross backwards very quickly. Is there a prayer that is quickly on your lips that, uh, um, yeah, go to, I, I, I actually kind of, I kind of did it earlier. Um, my King and my God. Um, that, that's been one of the ones that I, I do often. There's also one, um, that just kind of sometimes will just pop up into my head. Uh, it's, it's one that I learned from, uh, an Orthodox priest, um, 
shoot, I don't know what rite he's in, uh, but he's an Orthodox Catholic priest now, but he was my, my uh, professor in seminary out at, at St. John Vianney, and uh, he would pray this all the time. And I found out after having taught myself it uh, that it's actually the the divine liturgy before mass prayer, basically. Like they call mass in the uh, Orthodox the divine liturgy. And so I, it's it goes, Heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, who are everywhere present and fill all things, Treasury of blessings and giver of life, come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. Sometimes I will just... Like I'll, I'll I'll be walking and I like open a door and I just say that and I'm like okay that's pretty cool and and it's a it's a prayer to the Holy Spirit to to come into you and I I actually pray it every mass it is my my Thanksgiving so you you'll you'll see me if you you come to when when I celebrate mass. I, after I purify the vessel and there's been a moment of silence already for you guys, I've purified my vessel and I've prayed my prayers doing that. But then I go and I sit down and as I'm sitting down, I pray that prayer and you, you don't hear it, but I want, I want you guys to encounter silence in the congregation because you're not getting enough in your life. The liturgy has specific moments for silence built into it, and and I want to honor those. But I also want to make my Thanksgiving, because I'm required to, uh, I, canon law actually says, priest makes his Thanksgiving after Mass, because I'm going to go and talk to my congregation after Mass, or I'm jumping in my car and punching it to the, to the next place that I need to be. Um, but I will, I will pray that prayer. Um, so, and it's obvious that you've prayed it a million times because I, yeah, it, it, just, it, it just rolls off. Yeah, it just rolls, and off. it's not a short one either. No, uh, it, and, and it's 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 really really pretty beautiful. And there's sometimes where I'm like, I can forget it. I mean, th- this is what's funny. I, there, here's a story. Uh, I remember maybe being in high school, and I hadn't been to confession for a while, and I knew that I needed to get to confession. And I, I went to confession, um, and I was given one Our Father as my penance. <laughs> and and this is actually like the penance that I pretty much give to people. They're like, oh, I'm going to go to that priest. He just gives me an Our Father. Anyways, um, but I remember going out, and I started praying it. And I was like, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed. I, I don't remember it. And I was like, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Okay, thy kingdom come. I can't remember it. Seriously, I, I, start, I tried to start that prayer like, I don't know, a handful of times. And I was like, I, I had to pull out the missile from the pew and like look at it, look, find it in the right and pray it. And I was just like, well, how did I forget this? And, and it's, just, it, it, it's just kind of a little lesson though. It's like, the things that we take for granted, like the the little rope prayers, you mm-hmm. know, God is like saying, "No, I want you to really pray this." Mm-hmm. And so he 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 was the one who like knocked my head and said, "Stop, stop," you know, like you you need to pray this. 
And so I, I remember praying it uh, with the book, and then I was like, all right, I've got it. And then I prayed it again and really kind of meant it. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's how, how, the, how the Lord works um, through, through rote prayer. It's a, uh, it's a freakish talent to be able to get up in front of people and read scripture. I do that. It's not, it's not a big deal. Uh, it's an, it's even harder to get up and, and maybe entertain them like a, a comedian would do or something, but to get up and teach them and to be a homilist and to make them go, yeah, I'm glad to, glad I came to mass this Sunday because father had a good message. Does that weigh on you? Uh, Is that hard? Um, how do you practice your homilies? Do you write them all out? Do you just go off the cuff? So, uh, I'm a, like I said, uh, you pointed out, I'm a green priest. I'm pretty new. Um, yeah. Um, the, one of the, the greatest and, and, and kind of the coolest things during seminary, our professor at the seminary at St. Meinrad, uh, he's, he was actually Lutheran. He was our, our homiletics professor, and he would tell he would teach us homiletic forms that Protestants used, and uh, I, I could teach those to you now, but it's kind of useless. Um, but he would tell us he's like he he would have like a survey in class survey and like raise your hands. How many of you want to preach? Maybe two percent of us would raise our hands. And, and and I wouldn't like. Yeah. I'm like I'm not. I'm nah, 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 you know like, <laughs> I'm 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 definitely like Jonah. Like jo- like feel the call, and it's just like, yeah, God, um, take the rain check. Like you know, it, it, call somebody else. Maybe maybe I'll be later. You know, I'll say Moses too. He's like I'm not a good. Yeah. I'm not good uh, at yeah, talking. Yeah, Moses was like, you know, and and so he's like, fine, I'll get your brother. Yeah. You know? So that that means that Aaron survived the massacre. Uh, anyways, uh, so I then like it was it was rough, and 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 this kind of comes back to you were kind of alluding to it, and you didn't ask me that question. You asked me something else, but it, it fits in with like that just the intellectual part. Like I don't believe that I'm intelligent. Like I'm just like. Yeah, I actually talked to somebody the other day, and they're like, "Where did you get your vocabulary?" And I'm like, "I, I, I don't know. Like, I just use the words that have been taught to me, and I hope I'm using them correctly, right?" Um, but I just, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's a lot of the grace of God. Honestly, it, it is. It is um, homilies to me, especially when I went to Saint Isidore's. And and even prior to like I have a certain style, and I've kind of gotten comfortable with it. I tell a story that's an like an, an analogy. I use the scripture, and then I I, I give the lesson from it. Um, so there's there's kind of already a little form. That's my form that I I kind of stick to in some ways. Um, but I hope that I'm engaging this, and that's what I want to do more of is engage this in in prayer. And that I'm also engaging the world to the point where I know that there's something that needs to happen and that people are reacting to it either positively or negatively. 
And I need to find how that applies to our life today and how scripture goes on to that. But I always, well, I would, I would feel like I needed to do that just right and like be perfectionistic about it. And so I would seriously like Saturdays would be, I would get up, do coffee with some friends, some with some priests. I would go home and then I would be like, don't talk to me until before mass. Like I, I would just be like hunkered in my room, writing a homily, trying to figure out my transitions and I would write out word for word. So that was how I, I did it for my first two years and maybe three months here. Uh, what happened here at Hayes was uh, something was different because I was now in, in two different congregations. I was at the campus center and I was at St. Joe's. I felt like at, at the campus center, people responded to me immediately and it's not that I need that response, but it's it's helpful because I now know that I can have a conversation with them. I want the homily to be something that is uh, that touches them, that they're listening to. And if it's if it's bland or just straight up just teaching, um, they're not going to pay attention. Uh, Saint Augustine was one who said, "You you've got to." Delight, sway, and there's a third one, and I can't remember. Uh, I think it's like persuade, and so it, you you just you you've got to keep them engaged. And if you're do, not doing that, you've lost it. Granted, of course, we talked about the mass, and the mass is something greater than just the homily. Uh, sometimes I have to remind people that, like, you know, I can get up here and I can I can really get you mad because I've said something that has really jolted your heart. You can take it or leave it. What comes after this is much more important than what I just said. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what I want you to go to. And that's ultimately what all homilies are about. So if I fail in that, I can at least say, you're going to receive Jesus. But I hope that you have the right disposition to do that in and not be just, I'm so mad. If you're so mad, don't come forward. Anyways, uh, that's a lesson in there. <laughs> but... Um, I, I change my 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 style of preaching. I felt more comfortable preaching in front of the ambo um, at the campus center, and then at St. Joe's, um, I saw or I tested it. I was like, I wonder if if I preach in front of the ambo, how I would be received. And when I started to do that, I felt a little bit more of a connection. There was a disconnect at St. Joe's. And I was like, I don't want to pre. I I don't want to look like a weird duelist, right? Being at the campus center and doing this way, and then coming over here and being stifled and over here, I'm like, I I want to show them me and my engagement with the with scripture. And sure, I should be giving them. Uh, there's also that aspect of what does my parish need, right? You know, what do what do. Uh, uh, 80-year-olds or middle-aged people need and and families need that college students don't need and what do college students need that will engage their faith. These are things that you have to think about. And so I should be able to engage a college student with a little bit more 
I'll call it spice over here and and over here I should be able to give them something else to help them in their family life. So there's a lot of elements that come into this, but it it, it took me though to get out of uh, and it, it's been great to to get out of my I have to write this all out. Um, and I've I've gotten to this point where I'm like I feel comfortable being able to kind of extemporaneously talk on a skeleton of of things instead of here is my speech. I, although I don't preach like that uh, when, when I do write it out, um, but uh, it, it's it's it, it's it's new. It's it's kind of kind of daunting and, and kind of terrifying at the same time because I'm like. I could have said that a heck of a lot more clear if I had text in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, I'm like, did I w- overwork this text and nobody got it? Sure. That's the, that's the hard part is like I don't know what what you're receiving. And if I'm engaged and I can look at your faces and you can go, ah, I know that you have received it. At least you've received me attempting to touch you um, with the Holy Spirit. Perfect. Um, is there something that you know an inordinate amount of information about? Like, you know, like you said, the the lady running into you at the bar was probably asking you all sorts of faith questions and, and stuff like that. But like... Or another example is uh, Father Fred, you know, knows his faith. He's a good priest. Uh, but then you find out he also has a telescope and knows a ton about um, the stars and the you know, like, astrology and what, stuff like that. What is my hidden knowledge? Uh, what are my hobbies? <laughs> so uh, I like I like how you put that question, Tucker. Instead of making it sound like it's this is just something that I do on the side. You know um, a lot about beer, maybe. <laughs> well, I drink it. Uh, I like IPAs. Um, so uh, I'm an artist, obviously. Um, I've got some some drawings that I'm working on. Uh, I like to video game, and I play video game like first person shooters. Uh, that's that's something that I do. Uh, inordinate amount of knowledge. I'm also like a C.S. Lewis fan and Tolkien fan. Uh, I really haven't read all of the Lord of the Rings. People will knock me over the head and be like, oh, I thought you were like a pro in this. And like, <laughs> mm. I can look like I know what I'm doing, but, you know, like I, I know big words, but I don't know what they mean type of thing. But uh, the, yeah, that type of stuff, like, um, I, I enjoy writing, but I haven't written too much. Um, my my good friend, uh, who is a convert to the faith, like, oh, gosh, seven years ago or something like that, uh, he's like, you got to write something. You got to write something, and because he just he just loves the way I can I, I preach and and just bring a new observation to things, and so I'm like. So I mean, it, it, I, I just get overwhelmed with with certain ideas, and sometimes I mean, this goes into the the idea of sloth, right? You know, it's hard, and so I choose not to do it because it's hard. When I should be going, precisely because it is hard, I'm mm-hmm. going to do that. And you know that as a as a as a fitness guy. So 
Yeah, like just pushing yourself because it's like, no, this is hard, but I know that the gains on this is a heck of a lot better than just sitting around doing blah, 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 right? So I just recently learned that uh, Tolkien was Catholic. Yeah. So recently. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. 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 He's a, yeah, he is an amazing guy. Uh, His life story, um, yeah, we, my my friend and I, uh, his name's Ron. He and I, he actually invited me to go to Oxford, England, um, three summers ago now. It was after my first year of priesthood and went to Oxford, England, and I got to meet C.S. Lewis's personal secretary. Oh, cool. Yeah, and this is the guy who took over his literary estate, and he's an American who came over and he he – he and uh, C.S. Lewis became friends through correspondence. C.S. Lewis was notorious for writing, ev- like, writing all of his fans. If if you sent a letter to C.S. Lewis, he sent a letter to you. Wow! And so, um, this guy, uh, his name's Walter Hooper. Um, just he and C.S. Lewis like came like seriously. This is a, a whole nother like topic. Like we could we could talk on this later on. But he, uh, we went to go meet this guy Walter Hooper, and, uh, and then go walk around Oxford. Go to uh, the Bird and Child or the Eagle and Child uh, called the Bird and Baby. Uh, that's what they named it, nicknamed it. That's where the Inklings hung out. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis's brother Warney. Uh, Owen Barfield and um, Charles Williams and some other characters who kind of come in and out. But, um, yeah, it's amazing. I was supposed to go this summer, too. We were supposed to go back, but, you know, coronavirus said, nope, you can't visit. Interruptions. Yeah. Last thing I want to ask you about, Ram in the Thicket. Oh, my. So, um yeah, I haven't done too much. I mean, I'm kind of new in the blogosphere, and uh, I've recorded. This is this is something even with the homily thing, right? Being in this age, and everything has to be recorded. Like, I mean, it, everybody's eating things up, and I'm like, I'm a public person now. I get to preach to people, uh, and they want to hear my homilies. This is hard, too, because it's like, well, I'm really preaching to my parishioners in this particular place that need this particular message today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people want to hear me. And so I record and I put it on my Facebook. But a lot of people are like, I don't want to use Facebook. Could you put it onto a, a podcast or something else? And so I'm like, ah, I can do that. So I I kept on getting that, that asked. And so I started up uh, Ram in the Thicket. Uh, Ram is uh, my my initials, Ryan Anthony McCandless. Oh, nice. Uh, so I've been a Rams fan my whole life. Uh, so when they were in Los Angeles, then they went to St. Louis, and now they're in Los Angeles again. It's just kind of natural for me. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Football <laughs> team. Uh, and then um, Ram in the Thicket, I always loved that image of the um, the ram that was caught when Abraham goes up to sacrifice Isaac, his son, and uh, he says, God will provide a lamb when Isaac asks, where's, where's the sacrifice? And uh, when God stops Abraham from killing Isaac, uh, the angel comes and s- does that. 
Abraham spies a ram caught in a thicket. And I think of that being me. I'm caught in a thicket. God has caught me. Uh, and and he, he's holding on to me, uh, whether it be the cross, whether it be my vocation, God's, God knows what is necessary for me to hold on to. And uh, so that's kind of kind of why I call it that. Um, but, yeah, I, I hope to do some more movie reviews, maybe some book reviews. Um, I've got two movie reviews up there. Um, I don't know. What else do you want to talk about about it? Otherwise, it's just my homilies and the say, music widget. Where can we find it? How do we get to it? Oh, yeah. So it's yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Uh, it's, a, it's a Wix say, page. I know you can get it on your Facebook. You've got some links there. But. Right. Um, so it's like uh, if you have a Wix or you can go just type in RyanAMcCandless.com, I think. That's really bizarre, <laughs> right? Like my, my domain name. It's all free stuff. So, I mean, you could just get in there. And then uh, or just type in Ram in the thicket, Ryan McCandless. Uh, M-C-C-A-N-D-L-E-S-S. Uh, you can get that there. Uh, the music widget is updated every week with my uh, homilies. And, yeah, there you go. Awesome. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah. We're probably going to have to do a part two. I got all sorts of other oh, yeah. questions for Thank you. Yeah. So this is fun. I, I appreciate it. I love it. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Let's end with a prayer. Let's do it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Good and gracious God, we thank you so much for your guidance. We thank you so much for... Um, what you were able to show to us today and how you do make those plans and you ask us to to walk in your way. May we continue to follow you and to continue to follow your son. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen.